Glad to see everybody. If you have a Bible, I want to ask you to take it. I want you to go ahead and open to Galatians uh, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And while you're turning there, I just want to go ahead and tell you that, man, this is probably the turning point in the book of Galatians. We've been walking through this book for the past couple weeks. And today, guys, we're going to come to not only to probably the most important part in the book of Galatians, but we're going to come today and we're going to hinge on the most important part about Christianity. Now, that's a big statement to say the most important part about Christianity. But today, we're going to be talking about what is the key to Christianity. We're going to be talking about the thing that makes Christianity revolutionary. We're going to be talking about the thing that makes Christianity different from any other religion. So as you're turning to Galatians chapter 3, well, I just want you to go ahead and, and just be asking even now that maybe God would just work in a big way here today. And we're going to be reading in Galatians 3. We're going to see where Paul is at his finest. And what I mean by that is you're about to see the Apostle Paul, right? Everybody thinks the Apostle Paul is just uh, maybe a weak, timid kind of guy. Well, Paul's going to get a little salty today, okay? He's, he's, going to be, he's going to be aggressive. He's going to be salty. And he's even going to start this... Uh, this part of the uh, of the book of Galatians out by calling people essentially idiots, by calling them fools, right? And so uh, uh, you're going to see Apostle Paul at his best here today. Uh, but as I as we were, as I was thinking about this, we're going to be talking about what the Apostle Paul calls the church at Galatia fools for. And I was just thinking, you know, we as human beings, human beings everywhere, you just pick up a newspaper, right, and you'll see that human beings have an incredible capacity to do foolish things. Right? Amen. All right? We just not, and you can call them foolish, dumb, whatever. So as I was getting ready this week, I read a couple of stories, and I, they were just too good not to share with y'all about like how, how foolish human beings can actually be. All right? I read one story this week about a man who woke up one morning in the dead of a cold Minnesota winter. Now, Minnesota winters are a little bit different than, than Millen, Georgia winters. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Minnesota winters are cold, okay? And this guy goes out to find out that his truck won't start. Well, he assumed that his engine block had frozen solid. And so he, his solution was to put hot gas in the car. So he took a five-gallon uh, drum of gas, and he goes and pours some of it on a stove and a pot and heats it up. Can anybody imagine how this whole scene turns out? It didn't end well, right? How, I mean, how dumb can we humans actually be to think we should heat gas up and pour hot gas into our vehicle to make it run right, right? I don't, I don't know about that. And I read another one. This, one. this, to me, was even better. I read another one where uh, there were two truck drivers on a long haul, and they, were coming, they came into the interstate to a low-hanging overpass, and they, had, they stopped on the side of the road to decide whether their 18-wheeler would fit under the over, underpass. Well, they observed that the overpass only had a clearance of 13 feet, one, 13 feet, one inch. Yet their truck required at least 14 feet. But the colleague also observed something else. He said to his neighbor, there are no cops around, so we should just go for it. So they did. 13 foot, one inch was the clearance, and they had a 14 foot trailer, right? How y'all think that worked out? Don't, not, whether the cops were around didn't really matter at that point, right? But they went for it, didn't end well. We, as humans, we just do dumb things. So, so many times, I can't tell you how many times around, uh, around my house, my wife looks at me and she said, did you honestly think that would work? And I just had to say, well, I did in the moment, you know. We have, we have just such a capacity for foolishness. 
And today we're going to come to the main issue in the book of Galatians. It's going to be so serious that the Apostle Paul literally looks to the church at Galatia and he says, you foolish Galatians. He calls them dumb. You see, we all, we've, all, we've been talking about this a couple weeks, so you should know that the issue at stake here is the church at Galatia had fallen victim to the teaching of a group of people called the Judaizers, right? Everybody remember this is what we've been talking about for a couple weeks? And these Judaizers taught that to be truly saved or to grow in your faith, what you had to do was you had to have Jesus plus works, Okay? So it wasn't enough to believe in Jesus for salvation, but you had to believe in Jesus and then you had to do a certain list of things to, to really be saved or to really grow in the Christian faith. And Paul is going to address the issue at heart in his letters and he's calling these Galatians fools because they know the real gospel, but yet these other Judaizers have come in and they have believed what the Judaizers have said and he's looking back and he's looking at them and he's just looking at them like, Jenna looks at me sometimes and he's saying, did you really think? Think that was going to work? He's calling. He, he, he's saying, "You foolish Galatians!" If you got a Bible, look at Galatians three. We'll start in verse one. This is what it says. It's going to be on the screen. I think it's already I already loaded it in there. Galatians three verse one says this: "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" The, the, the phrase foolish Galatians right there, if you wanted to translate it in modern English, it would literally say, you idiots. This is, this is not nice language. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Like Paul, Paul just he says, let me ask you only this, and then he asks five questions, right? That's... He's pretty mad. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray this morning before we dive in. Dear God, I love you so much. I thank you for your word, God. I pray right now, Jesus, that, God, you would just take even a sinful man like me, Jesus. And dear God, just put your word through my mouth, dear God. Let nobody else see me from this point on, but God, just work in a mighty way, dear God. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that your word will fall on ears that are ready to hear, God. I believe that lost will be saved today. And dear God, I just believe that believers will worship you today because of what your word says. And I pray that, God, forgive us of where we fail you, dear Lord. Turn our hearts towards you today, Jesus, I'm begging you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. There's, we're going, I, I'm going to do things a little bit different, but here's what I want you to see in this text, okay? This is the, we, we've come to the core issue in the book of Galatians. Paul is now about to start addressing what's wrong at this church. And so here's what I want you to see. We're going to see a few different things. We're going to see the problem that Paul sees, all right? 
We're going to see the solution that Paul has for him, and then we're going to see an example of how it should all play out. All right? Does that make sense? We're going to see the problem that's in this church. We're going to see the solution that Paul has, and then we're going to see an example of how they should move forward. All right? So let's start this morning with the problem. So Paul starts off his address with five questions getting at the main problem. If you go back and you look at uh, verses 2 through 5, you can even bracket verses 2 through 5. This is the main problem that Paul has that Paul's coming at these guys with. He starts with five questions. And he would sum up the main problems like he would sum it up like this. If you want to take all those five questions and you want to put them into one statement, Paul would sum it up like this. The believers in Galatia started out believing the gospel, but have come to believe they are not saved by Christ alone, but by Christ and then certain things they do. Okay? Now, I want you, if you're a note taker, write this down because this is going to be really important for us because right now you haven't connected how this applies to your life. But what I want you to know from the outset is this is like super important for how you live your everyday life, leaving this place if you really believe in Jesus, okay? So the main problem is that these people started out believing Jesus is the way to be saved, nothing but the cross of Jesus. Then as they grew and as they, as these other false teachers came in, what they started to believe was that Jesus saved us, now we have to work to grow in the faith. Now we have to work to continue to get better and be saved. Read verse 3 with me. Verse 3 is the central verse in this little passage. I love verse 3. It says, are you so foolish? Are you that dumb is what Paul's asking. See, Paul is literally a, a, a genius looking at these people. And it, so I don't know what your experience in this life is, but have you ever had a conversation with somebody whose elevator just did not go all the way to the top? And you were looking at them and you were saying, really? Is it, are, you, are you serious? Is this how you're thinking? That's what Paul is doing here, right? Now, if you're me, you're the person who the other person is looking at and saying, your elevator must not go all the way to the top, right? But y'all get what I'm saying. Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, when you started out, you didn't have to do all these works. Now you think salvation's something that you do? When you started out, it was the cross. Now you think that you have to be circumcised to be saved? And he's literally looking at them, and he's, his heart you can just feel how his heart's aching for these people. And he says, are you that dumb, guys? These people thought they were saved by Christ, but then they had to do certain things. So if, if you want to put it in a math equation, if you're taking notes, this is a simple way to think about it. This is what the church at Galatia thought. Christ plus works equals salvation. Okay? We're going to get to what kind of works in a minute. But this is what they thought. Jesus on the cross plus works equals salvation. And Paul is out to prove that if you have Jesus and you put plus anything, you have nothing. This morning, church, I don't know what, it, what your heart's like, but if you have Jesus on the cross, oh, and then I need to try to be a better person, then I need to try to do this, then I need to try to do this, then what Paul's out to say is this, Jesus plus nothing. And I don't want you to let these words to the church at Galatia. See, 
what happens a lot of times is we, we read this part of Galatians and we think, man, this is for them, not for us, okay? I don't want you to let this, the words of the Bible this morning seem distant to you because this is really important for us right here, right now, today. We may be above thinking. See, for the Galatians, what it was is they thought they had to believe in Jesus and then be circumcised, right? But we may be above thinking that, oh, we've got to believe in Jesus and then we've got to do certain marks of the flesh like circumcision. But we are just like the Galatians when we add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ to make it necessary for our salvation. Let me explain to you what I'm saying. I want to make this real practical for you. Sometimes we, as Christians, what happens is we believe that Jesus on the cross is, saves us, but then we believe that we, we make certain actions necessary for us to really be considered Christians. You track him with what I'm saying with that? We say, yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved by Jesus, but we make, certain, we make certain actions necessary for somebody to really be considered a mature Christian. For somebody who's really saved, yeah, well, some people might come to church, but a real Christian does X. Yeah, is everybody tracking with that? Well, yeah, they go to church, but a real Christian does this. Let me give you an example. You're not saved unless you are at church 95% of the time. Everybody knows real Christians go to church as much as they possibly can. We, instead of it being something we want to do, we make that a rule that we have to do. So it's Jesus plus church attendance equals salvation. Does that make sense? Jesus plus something equals salvation. You're not really saved unless you come to church 95% of the time. I don't care if you're sick, dead, dying, you better be here. Right? Some of y'all like me, some of that's, that was born in me. I tell people all the time I had a real bad drug problem. I got drove to church and, to church and back from church. Okay? Jesus plus church attendance. Another one is this. Jesus plus quiet times equals salvation. See, instead of making a quiet time something that we get to do as, as, as because we're in a relationship with Christ, what we say is that, oh, we know real Christians are people who have quiet times. And if you don't have your quiet time, then, oh, boy, you're not saved. If you don't get up an hour early and read your Bible, if you don't get up and, and pray, you don't get up and have that time of the Lord every morning, you're not a real Christian. And what we do as Christians is we, we impose what we do in our relationship with Christ onto others. And so I look at you and I say, if you're not having a quiet time, that means you're not a real Christian. Jesus plus quiet times. Jesus plus prayer life. Jesus plus serving in the church on Sunday. Some of y'all are in here and you look at other people who may not be serving or they, they might not serve in orange or might not serve in blue and you go home and you have that conversation with your spouse and you say, man, I just do not see how you can really be saved if you don't serve in orange. I, don't, I just do not see how you can be saved. Those people who don't want to serve blue, I just don't understand how they're saved. You see what we've done? We've made an action necessary for a person's salvation. And if you don't do that action, if you don't actually participate in that thing that we make necessary, then you're not a real Christian. Sometimes we make certain actions necessary for salvation. It's Jesus plus works. But sometimes we as Christians do things backwards. Sometimes we prohibit certain actions. So what we'll do is we'll say, in order to be a real Christian, we know real Christians don't drink alcohol. And if you do, you're not a real Christian. Or what we might say is, we know real Christians don't chew tobacco. 
And if you do, you're not a real Christian. What we do is we start to take convictions and we start to read them on to other people and make them necessary. Now, it's perfectly fine if you have a conviction. But when you make it necessary for another person's salvation, that's when it becomes the problem. That's the problem here in Galatians. I love a story, and these two men are going to know exactly who I'm talking about when I talk about it. But I love the story. This happened in our church when we were first getting started up. Uh, one, one older gentleman went to another elderly gentleman, and uh, he said, Man, you know, when, when, we, when I used to chew tobacco, God just told me that I couldn't uh, witness to nobody with a chew in my mouth. And the other man looked back at him and he said, I'm sure glad God ain't told me that yet. Right? But what happens when we start to take these convictions, we can't take these convictions and then read them on to other people and make them necessary for their salvation. You can't look at somebody, if, you, if you're a non-smoker and you quit smoking in the past, you don't get to look at somebody else who still smokes and says, man, I just don't see how you can be a real Christian and, not, and, and still smoke. We do it with other things. How about tattoos? So that, I, I've been in churches before, boy, if you had a tattoo, the devil had possessed your soul and you were going to hell. How about, this is a good one, this is a good one. How about when we say, we look at people who watch certain movies or listen to certain music and we say, man, I just don't see how a Christian can listen to that. I just don't see how a Christian can watch that. You see, what Paul is after here, what the main issue at stake is, is there's a certain amount of Christian liberty in the Christian life where it ain't really black and it ain't really white that you might have a conviction on and I might not and we have to learn to agree in that grace space. And it don't make nobody a bad person. It don't mean nobody's evil and one person's more righteous than the other. But what it means is we don't make certain actions necessary or prohibit certain actions and make them necessary for salvation. Because you see, that's what the church at Galatia was doing, guys. They were looking at each other and saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but unless you get circumcised, you're not a real Christian. Unless you actually uh, fast one day a week and, have, and pray three times a day, you're not a real Christian. And what Paul is out to prove here is that, yes, it starts with Jesus and nothing else but Jesus is going to save you. I want to tie this all together. See, we like the Galatians are fools. If we think Christ has done the work to save us, then after we are saved, we have to do the work to grow in it. See, a lot of us, this is, how, this, is, this is the main way it plays out. What happens is we come to church on a Sunday and we hear a message that's convicting to us and we say, man, I know that God's calling me to give my life to Christ. So what we do is we raise our hand and we surrender our lives and we say, man, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything I do. And we come down here and we pray and we surrender everything to Christ. And what we realize is, okay, Jesus saved me. Now when we wake up the next day, we think, okay, man, I, I got to quit all this sinning I'm doing. I got to start talking the right way. I got I to do all these things. And instead of making it about the Savior who saved us, we make it about following rules. And what we think is, if I'm a real Christian, if I really got saved that day, then I got to start following all these rules just right. And Paul's looking at me and he's looking at you because, listen, I know this is how your mind works. 
When you get up in the morning, 95% of the time, you don't go read that Bible because you're ready to enjoy God. You get up and you go read that Bible because you say, man, I'm a Christian. I better go read my Bible or God's going to strike me down. God's not going to bless me unless I have an hour prayer time. We still relate to God like we're earning something. And when Paul's looking at us and he's saying, you're a bunch of fools. If you've got a Bible, look at Galatians 3.10. This is where it all, this is where it comes together. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal if you come and get saved and then tomorrow when you get up, you try to do you say, Man, I gotta quit all this stuff I'm doing. I gotta I gotta read my Bible like I'm supposed to, I gotta pray like I'm supposed to. It's such a big deal because what Paul says is, is that if you wake up and you try to relate to God by doing everything right by following all the rules, then you are still under a curse because here's the big deal. You can never do everything right. You want to realize how, I'm, I, I would challenge you this, you want to realize just how big of a sinner you are? Wake up tomorrow and try to not sin. Wake up and try, to, and try to have a perfect quiet time. Wake up and try to be the perfect husband or perfect wife. Wake up and try to be the perfect mother or the perfect father. Try your best to go throughout that whole day and not sin. And here's what you'll realize. I am cursed because I can never do everything right. Now, as we're getting into this, I know the thought is already going across some of your minds. Some of you are thinking, well, if this is true, Dallas, and I'm saved by nothing but grace, nothing but the cross, what's the point of even trying to clean up my life? Why not just live however the crap I want to, and then I'll just, li I'll just live how I want to and die right? What's the, what's the point? I'm going to get there. You just, just wait, all right? So here's the thing we've got to deal with right now. How do I know if I'm one of the people that Paul's talking to? How do I know if I'm somebody who has started relating to God by keeping the rules instead of by having a relationship with Christ. Because this is important. Uh, nothing I've said matters is if you don't think you're in this boat, okay? So here's how to know. If you, it, how, how do I know that if I'm like one of the people Paul's talking to? Listen to me. If your relationship with Christ has become more about keeping a certain list of rules than worshiping and enjoying Jesus Christ, then you are in the same boat as the Galatians. Listen to me now. If, if being a Christian is more about what you do and do not do than who you know, Paul is trying to talk to you this morning. If Christianity is a burden to your sin-sick soul, and not medicine to your sin-sick soul, then you have bought into a lie that it's Jesus plus how well I keep the rules. Because here's the main thing we're going to see before the end of the sermon today. We're going to see that Christianity is not a religion of burdens and things to do, but a relationship where believers start rejoicing in what's been done. Listen to me. If this is you this morning, and you may have even come to church today, and this is, how, this is th listen to the vocabulary I'm about to use. If you came to church this morning because it was the right thing to do, 
If you read your Bible because it's what you're supposed to do, if you pray because you know you should, then Paul is looking at you and he is telling you, listen, he's calling you a fool, but with all the compassion in his heart, he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he wants you to believe the real gospel. Because it's not about just mustering up the strength to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be better. It's about having your heart changed from the inside out. And so that's the problem in the church at Galatia. Now, I'm wondering this morning, as we even get started, how many of us is that the problem in our own life? You see, we've come down here, we've gotten saved, and now we're trying to clean ourselves up in our own power. We know that it, we, we want to make God happy, so we're trying to do all the things right and stop doing all the things wrong. And this morning, Jesus has got a solution for us. So here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at verse 1 with me again. This is where it gets really good. Look at verse 1. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that what? Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. So get this, guys. If the Galatians are turning away, what do they need to go back to? What they turned away from. And what Paul says they've turned away from is that they have turned away from Jesus Christ crucified. What Paul wants the Galatians to look back at is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me right here. My main, as, as I've prayed and studied this week, my main goal for us right now is to focus where Paul wants us to focus, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. So before we go a step further, I want you to start picturing the cross of Jesus in your head. And we're about to... We're, we're about to just talk about the cross for the next 15 or 20 minutes, and it's go, I, I'm praying that you would focus in on the cross of Jesus right here. Because the center of the Christian faith is not how many quiet times you have. The center of the Christian faith is not how well, I used to cuss, but I don't cuss no more. The center of the Christian faith is not I'm trying my best to be the best that I can. The center of the Christian faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so many times, like the Galatians, we start at the cross and then we move on to more mature things. You see, when we first get saved, we know that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves but the cross of Jesus. But hey, the more we move along, we just get a little more refined and a little more refined. And we think we need to move away from the cross. And what Paul is trying to make clear is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the start of the Christian faith, the cross of Jesus Christ is the middle of the Christian faith, and the cross is the end of the Christian faith. Christ on the cross is how we are saved. You understand that? Christ on the cross is how we are saved. Christ on the cross is how we grow and grow out of sin. Christ on the cross, if we die and go to heaven, it's going to be because of Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross frees us from the penalty of sin. We'll no longer have to pay the penalty for it. And then Jesus Christ on the cross frees us from the power of sin. I will, let's read about Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, pull up John 19, 28-30. It'll be on the screen. Read this with me. I want you to understand how important the cross of Christ is because, listen, some of you have this vague notion of what Jesus Christ on the cross actually is, and today we've got to destroy that notion because you've got to see the cross for what the Bible says the cross is. John 19, verse 28, Jesus has already been arrested. He's already been uh, flogged. He's already carried his own cross out to the hill at the place of the school. The cross has been put up. His arms have been stretched wide, and this is the 
final dialogue that we have from Jesus on the cross. Let's read it. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Here's, what, here's the most important part. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Listen to me. This is really important. Jesus Christ on the cross has said these words. Now, this is why would Jesus say this? He says, it is finished. After he's been flogged, after he has carried the cross all the way to the Golgotha, after he has been crucified on it, he says, it is finished. Now, here's what's really important. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. That word, it is finished, in English is three words. It's one word in the Greek, and here's what it means. It's called tetelestai. And here's what they used to do with this Greek word. They would take receipts and they would take bills that people owed to merchants and when a, when, some, when a consumer had paid off his bill in full, that merchant would take the bill and he would write on it to Telestai. He would write on it, it is finished. In other words, what that merchant was trying to say is that this man has paid all of his debt. Okay? So Christ's words on the cross, he could have said anything. What Christ's words on the cross were, it is finished, all the debt has been paid. Russ, go to Colossians 2.14. I want you to see how the whole Bible is tying this together. We're talking about Jesus Christ on the cross, and Paul says that Jesus on the cross, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know what Paul's saying? That there was a record of debt against you and against me and that we had to pay that debt. There was a bill out for our sin. And Jesus Christ on the cross, what he did was he took our sin, he took the sin that you committed and the sin that I committed, and he nailed it to the cross and said to Telestai, it is finished. Your debt has been paid. Now, I don't know... Any other way that I could set you on fire this morning than by telling you that you were a sinner who paid a bill, you had a debt that you could not pay, and Christ on the cross marched all the way to the hill called the place of the school, and he spread open his arms, and he paid the debt that you owed. He canceled your debt. He nailed it to the cross. Is he not worthy of worship this morning? How dare we sit here and tell ourselves, now that Christ has paid all of my debt, now that Christ has forgiven me all of my sin, I need to try real hard to be, to be a good Christian. You still don't get what he's done. You don't, you're not fathoming how great a debt that he paid on that cross. Listen to me this morning. This should sound scandalous. The only reason it doesn't is because you don't realize how big a sinner you are. I, I would challenge you with this for just a second. Put the worst sin that's ever crossed your mind into your head. The, the, the one sin or that you've ever committed, ever crossed your mind, put it in your head. The one sin that if anybody else ever knew about, they would ch it would change the way they look at you and they would, they would not, probably not want to be friends with you anymore. Right? We've all got that sin that we've thought or we've done that we don't want anybody else to know about. Here's what this means. On the cross, Christ knew about that sin and he forgave it anyway. 
This should sound scandalous. You're telling me murderers can go free? Absolutely. You're telling me adulterers can be forgiven? Absolutely. I'm telling you that people like David, after he committed sin with Bathsheba, you know what God looked at David and said? He has put your sin away. The sin that you committed, God says, I've put it away on the cross. And some of us still don't see how important it is. I won't put up 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is where I really think we're going to make a breakthrough today. I hope you see this. All right, Listen, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Now, check this out. Let me, let's break it down piece by piece. Jesus, who never sinned, became our sin. Jesus on the cross was not Jesus' sin. It was Dallas Wilson's sin. Is everybody tracking with that? On the cross, it was not not Jesus' sin. It was Chad's sin. It was not Jesus' sin. It was Jenna's sin. It was not Jesus' sin. It was Marshall's sin. On the cross, he became your sin. Now track this. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Christ not only became your sin, he took off his righteousness and he gave it to you. Now, let me explain to you what that means. You are going to die one day. And on the day you die, you are going to stand before God Almighty and you're going to be there as someone who has never sinned and who has done all of the righteousness that Jesus has done. Now, think about this. When you stand before God, you're going to be able to look at God and say, God, I fasted for 40 days in the wilderness and I stared the devil in the face and he tempted me and I told him to go to hell. Man, that's crazy. You're going to be able to say, I did that. Not because you did, because Jesus has given you that. You're going to say, God's going to say, what else did you do? You're going to be able to say, I walked on water and then I pulled one of my disciples out there too. Not because you did it, but because Christ did it. He's, you're going to say, what else? He's going to say, I, I, I fed 5,000 with only 12 uh, loaves of bread and two fish. Now, let me ask you something. On the day that you die and you stand before God having all that righteousness, do you honestly think there's one thing that you can add to that to make it better? Oh, and God, I, I read my Bible like I was supposed to. God, I, I stopped cussing. God, when... I gave my 10% at church. There is no action that you can put with God's to make you any more righteous. It's only what Christ has done. It's in realizing, this is why the cross is so important this morning. This is why I want us to focus on this so much this morning. It's in realizing what Christ has already accomplished on the cross that we receive the Spirit's power to live the kind of life that pleases God. It, when we, it, it, it's like this. When we believe the Son of God, we receive the Spirit of God to please the Father of God. When you believe that Jesus Christ has already done all the, all the things necessary for your salvation, what happens is, is the Spirit of God comes in you and empowers you to live the kind of life that pleases God. The reason we're talking about Spirit right here, look in verse 3. It says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Check this out. This is the first time the Spirit's mentioned in the book of Galatians. First time, all right? And we're talking about the Spirit right here because the Spirit is about to become the most important part of the book of Galatians after this. 
Because here's what Paul's implying. Paul's implication is that we first received the Holy Spirit when we were saved. Okay? When we believed in Jesus Christ, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Paul's implication is when we wake up tomorrow and we believe again, we're continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what the Spirit does? It makes us more and more and more like Jesus. If you're frustrated this morning, you come in here and you're frustrated with how slow you're growing in the Christian faith. Man, you feel like, I can never do what some of these other connect group leaders do. I can never be a good connect group leader. Maybe you've been coming for two weeks and you just look at people who are going to connect group and you say, I can never go to a connect group. Or maybe you've been coming for two months and that same sin that you were struggling with when you came is still the same sin that you're struggling with today two months later. And you're saying, I'm just never going to grow. What Paul is trying to help us understand here is that if you're burdened by the do's and don'ts, you don't need to wake up tomorrow and try harder to not do the thing you're struggling with. What Paul's trying to help us understand is that if you're struggling with the do's and don'ts, if you're frustrated by how slow you're growing, what you need to do is look back to the cross of Jesus and believe that he's already done everything to save you and that when you do that, you are going to be filled with the Spirit of God to live the kind of life that he says you should live. Martin Luther said this. Anybody know who Martin Luther was? He was the great reformer. Martin Luther said the only way to grow in the Christian faith is to begin again. What he meant was if you want to get over sin that you're struggling with, if you want to grow to be more like Jesus, you don't wake up and say, God, I got to try harder. I got to grit my teeth. I got to do certain things. I got to fake it until. What he's saying is, is that the only way to grow is to look back at the cross and realize you don't have to do anything. Practically, I want to encourage you with this. Here's what we've got to become a people who do. We've got to become a people who believe the gospel no matter what's going on in our life. We've got to become a people who preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. Every morning when you wake out of bed, you got to remember that there is not one thing that you can do today to make God love you anymore. And you got to believe this. There's not one thing that you can do to make God love you any less. It doesn't matter how many good quiet times you have. God's not going to love you anymore because of that. It don't matter how big a sin you commit. God's not going to look at you and love you any less. Why? Because when he looks at you, what he sees is Jesus. And he loves Jesus just as much as he could ever love him. And there's nothing Jesus could do to make him love him any less. He sees Jesus. When we understand this, it changes everything. Some of you are thinking, well, Dallas, if this is true, how do I actually grow up in this Christian faith? How those things that I'm struggling with, the language that I struggle with, the sin that nobody knows about that I struggle with, how do I actually grow into having these quiet times? Because you tell me I need to have a quiet time. How do I actually grow in my prayer life? That's why we get the example right here of Abraham. Look with me at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, throws up Abraham as an example. Now, does everybody remember the story of Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Everybody remember that? Bible school days? All right. 
what the story of Abraham was, Abraham was an old man. And God came to him and he said, Abraham, by you I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And Abraham was an old man. He said, God, I don't really know how you're going to do that. I'm an old man. I can't have a kid to be a blessing to many nations. And God said, how I do it is not your concern. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And so what does the Bible say Abraham did? The Bible says that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's the perfect example for us of how we're saved because in Abraham, we see God chose an octogenarian whose wife had long been past childbearing age to be the beginning of the lineage of the Messiah who was going to come and save us all. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything that Abraham, the 100-year-old AARP eligible, senior discount receiving, Bethany home bachelor could have done to make himself any more uh, capable of fulfilling that promise. No, because I don't know if y'all know this, once everything gets a certain age, you can't have babies anymore. It wasn't like Abraham and Sarah were in there practicing some fertility treatments to make their chances increase. When there's 0% chance, it don't matter what your percentages go up, it's still 0 times 0. It wasn't like they were in there uh, measuring her ovulation calendar on a, on a rock, right? Well, this is the day, Sarah. You're ovulating today. We need to try. It wasn't like they were in there mixing up kale shakes because, hey, man, if you drink a kale shake, evidently kale can cure anything. And if you're infertile and you drink kale, you're going to have a baby. They were literally dead, guys. There was nothing that Abraham and Sarah could have done to make themselves have a baby. The Bible says they believed it was going to happen, and it happened. And that is the illustration for me and you. That is the example for me and you of salvation because when Christ found us, we were dead. There was nothing we could do. There was no method that we could practice. There were no five steps that we could take. There was no improve your prayer life tactic that was going to make us saved. So many of us, we picture salvation as if salvation is we are drowning in an ocean and Christ throws us out of lifeline and we've got to figure out how to swim good enough to get the lifeline. Salvation is that you were dead at the bottom of the ocean. And Christ dipped down and gave his last breath to bring you back up and make you breathe there's nothing you can do. And now, I told you we were going to get to the question, does this mean how we can live however we want? Here's what I want you to understand. If you understand this truth that I'm preaching to you today, you will live however God wants. When we believe like Abraham, we begin to live like Abraham. And what did the Bible, does anybody remember what God called Abraham to do? To sacrifice his own child. He looked at him, the promised child. He says, Abraham, go and provide a sacrifice to me with Isaac. And you know what the Bible records Abraham doing? It don't record him saying, oh God, why? It don't record him saying, oh God, is this really your voice? It doesn't record him saying any of those things. It only records him being obedient. Because once you become to believe in the promise of God, you will live in obedience to God. So many times... We reduce Christianity down to simple obedience. I need to do these things and don't do these things. However, this morning, what this text is trying to make clear to us, guys, is that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's only Jesus. 
When we believe the gospel, then like Abraham, we're willing to live it out. You know why we have quiet times? You know why we stop cussing? You know why we, we don't have premarital sex? You know why Christians do all these lists of things that the world thinks is crazy? It's not because we think we can get to heaven. It's because God's told us we're going to be there. I love the story of what, uh, what happened to the old Puritan, John Bunyan. Anybody know Pilgrim's Progress? Y'all ever heard of this book? Famous book. He got thrown in jail because he was preaching salvation by grace alone. And they come to him in jail and they said, John, if you keep preaching this, the people will live however they want. And John said, oh no, if I keep preaching this, they'll live however God wants. Abraham's the perfect example for us this morning. And now as we come into, as we, we're going to close, as the praise band's coming up, here's what I want us to do. So many of you this morning have come in here, and to be, if you're honest with yourself, right, you, you can fool everybody else, but if you're honest with yourself, you're weary down, you're burdened down by how much work Christianity has been to you. Trying to be a good enough husband, trying to be a good enough spouse, trying to be a good enough father or mother, trying to read your Bible like you should, trying to pray like you should. You've been trying to do all these right things, and if you're honest, all this resulted in is that you're tired. You've come down here and you are absolutely tired and worn out. And here's what the text is trying to make clear for you today. The reason you're tired and worn out is because you're working for something, not from something. You see, we don't do all those things because we want to be saved. We do all those things because we know we are. And today, maybe today is the day that you need to come down here and you need to pray, God, I've been trying to do this in my own power and I need the Spirit's power. Please, God, come. I'm going to be honest with you. This is me. This is me. Man, I get so consumed with making sure that I'm not sinning that I forget to look to the one who's forgiven me of all my sins. And I just had to look at it today and say, God, I just got to have your spirit. I can't do this on my own. Will you just empower me? But there are others of you in here who you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. And what's happened is, over the years, you've been coming to church on and off, on and off, and you'll go through cycles where, man, you'll do great because you know that's what you're supposed to do. But it never lasts because you're trying, to, you're trying to be good enough in your own power. You're trying to earn your own salvation. And what Paul's making clear here is that'll never last. So you've come for six weeks, and then you've taken 12 off. And you've said to yourself, you've said to your wife, you've said to your husband, baby, you know we really need to get back in church. And so you'll come for seven, and then you'll take another 12 off. And that's how your life has been continually, because you've never believed the gospel that there's nothing you can do to save yourself, and you need Jesus. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. We're going to close with this. The Bible says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are here this morning, and you are more burdened than you are relieved, here's what I want you to understand you haven't been following Jesus. I was telling the, the 10 o'clock meeting earlier today, following Jesus is hard, but it's not burdensome. It's difficult because you're in a world full of sin, but it's not burdensome. You're not carrying your own weight. Christ was carrying your own weight when he carried the cross to, to Golgotha. This morning, if you're burdened, there are one or two responses. There are only two responses you can make. Number one, if you're a Christian, is to repent and say, God, I need to do this in your power. 
And number two, if you're lost, is to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. And so as we pray, I'm going to ask the prayer team to stand over there. If you want to accept Jesus this morning, you want to say, Jesus, I cannot do this in my own power anymore. I would challenge you. Come pray with one of us. We would love to show you that this is nothing that you can do, but it's all about Christ. Or this morning, we're going to cut out lights, and this is going to become our altar. If you've been doing this in your own power, I would challenge you. Just look to Jesus and say, in your power, not mine. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for um, just using my mindless ramblings, dear God. I pray that it glorifies you in some way, and I pray that, uh, Lord, we would just worship you more and more today. In Christ's name, I pray.